I came across a, a quote recently um, from a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. Dallas was a was a theology professor and and uh, just a, uh, an author and just a brilliant mind. And he once said, "Familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Unfamiliarity breeds contempt." I say that again. Familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Unfamiliarity breeds contempt. Because, and I, and I think about that quote in light of our Christmas story. And we're going to hear Matthew's version of the Chris, Christmas story today. But when you think about this Christmas story, we've heard it over and over and over again for years. Even people who don't really know much about the Christian story know something of the Christmas story. And it's so familiar that we miss some of the stuff that's going on inside of that story. And we miss it and, and, and what it can mean for our lives. My prayer for us as we go into these days of Christmas is that something can crack open for us. Something new, a new hearing of this story and what it means for your life and for mine and for the world that we live in. That this familiarity just doesn't make the story itself foreign, but the familiarity, familiarity opens us up to a new thing that God is doing in our lives and in our world. Today now... As we light today, we hear the Christmas story according to the Gospel of of Matthew, uh, chapter one. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way: when his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they were before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just then, when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to be seated. As many of you know, I, this past summer, had an opportunity to go on sabbatical. I spent a good amount of time in the UK, and I was there doing some studying on my own, uh, but eventually my family came and joined me. I had wanted to take them to see Stonehenge. I had been there when I was in when, it, when I was in college, and I wanted to go back, and I wanted to share it with my wife and my daughters, and so... We were going to go there. It was going to be this great experience, and you know where this is going. So I, I want to show you a picture of us. <laughs> that cannot convey how cold it was. 
that cannot convey how waterlogged we were. Just, we, <laughs> the bus drops you off at these historic stones. I mean, these are 5,000 years old. These are iconic, iconic stones. This is just this world-famous place. And we, and, we, and we went for a walk, and we did our best to just try to be present in the moment and try to be there. And I took some pictures, and I don't, didn't know if they would turn out. I didn't even know if my, the phone on my camera would even work. Uh, but it, it did, and so <laughs> those were the most useless plastic bags that you've ever seen. <laughs> and so we, we got the, the picture to prove that we were actually there. We can go to the next slide and not look at miserable people anymore. Um, yeah, but uh, we spent uh, as much time as we could bear walking around the stones. Wonderful sight. I still recommend it, just not on a day like that. Uh, we made our way back to the visitor center and uh, read some, some of the stuff that they were planning on doing. Because two weeks, I think we were there two weeks before the summer solstice, which is like go time at Stonehenge. And so they were making all of the preparations and getting ready for, for all of that. Also, while I was there, read about uh, the winter solstice. Also, it, it probably the most famous winter, summer and winter solstice celebrations happen there. People from all different spiritualities and religious backgrounds and, and, and places of, of thought uh, from all over the world gather at these stones uh, for the summer and, and winter solstice. Of course, this, the winter solstice was just yesterday. And uh, it's the longest... Uh, night of the year in the Northern Hemisphere. You can go to the next slide. It's the longest night of the year uh, here in the, in the Northern Hemisphere. It was just a pretty amazing day yesterday. It was a day like this, and with the sun being out, and you could see just how uh, early it got dark without it being kind of one of those, those cloudy days. What I've come to understand is that the winter solstice and Christmas are are linked in a in a profound <clears throat> excuse me in a profound way that I hadn't really thought of or, or learned before. So when I was talking before about uh, hearing something new, this is a, this is a new idea that came to me, and I want to share it with you. And it's a bit of a history lesson, so you're going to have to walk with me a little bit on this. So the the very first Christmas was celebrated in the year 336 A.D. 336. There was 300 years. Uh, in, in early Christianity where they, they didn't even celebrate the birth of Jesus. So after about 300 years, the first recorded festival of Christmas happens. It happens on December 25th. And it also happens according to the Julian calendar. That was the calendar of the day. It was developed by Julius Caesar, and which, which means that they had 362 days in that calendar year. That's problematic. 362 days means you're missing a few days, which means that if you have Christmas on December 25th, the next year, the month of December, all the months actually shift by a few days. The next year, it shifts by a few days. Fast forward to the 16th century, and December is like in the springtime. And so they had a problem on their hands, and so Pope Gregory creates what's called the Gregorian calendar. 365 days with a leap year every four. It's what we know now, and now December is back where it belongs. And they had a decision to make. Do we move Christmas to the solstice? Or do we celebrate it on December 25th where we've had it for the last thousand years? 
And it, it's not unreasonable to think that they would move into the solstice because uh, the, the, the solar and the lunar uh, calendars, the schedules, I mean, that's, that, that's why we have Lent the way that we do. And so they were thinking, well, we could just, just kind of plop this day right there on the solstice. But they didn't. And here's why. The winter solstice in the northern hemisphere, the longest, darkest night of the year. After that, the days get progressively longer, but it's not visible to the naked eye that is actually lighter till about three days after the fact, December 25th. Can you see why that's important? The longest night of the year, the time of the greatest darkness, three days later, emerging light. Creation and Christ are God's incarnate. God is incarnated through creation and Christ. And the first Christians, Christians, Christianity teaches us that through creation, that, that it is in the deepest darkness that a fresh radiance, a fresh radiance grows from there. Alexander Shia, he's the one who taught me all of this, says this. The deepest dark is not where grace goes to die. The deepest dark is where grace goes to be reborn. The deepest dark is not where grace goes to die. The deepest dark is where grace goes to reborn. And we see this played out in so many ways through our scriptures. We see this idea played out in our Christmas story, the background of this Christmas story. We cannot forget that Mary and Joseph were living as occupied people in an occupied land under the boot of a global military superpower in the Romans. Life was hard. You factor on top of that, that that Mary is pregnant. What is she, 14 years old, out of wedlock. She's experiencing all of the fear and the shame that are going with that. Joseph, also experiencing fear, also experiencing shame, and he's experiencing that differently because now he has some decisions to make. In in, in, In that era, according to the barbaric laws that existed he was within his right to have her stoned to death. And he could have done that. He decides he's going to quietly divorce, that, divorce her. And, and the marriage rules and laws were different, but they, even though they were engaged, you could divorce your engagement. And had he done that, she would have been penniless in the streets with a newborn child to fend for herself because she would have been ostracized by the broader community. And that's the more compassionate way to go. And so that's what the decision that that he made to do. And it was into this fear and into this darkness and into this trouble that a new light was born, that a child was given. That's the pattern in creation. That's the pattern in our scriptures. That's the pattern in our life. The deepest dark is not where grace goes to die. The deepest dark is where grace goes to be reborn. And so I ask you this morning, where do you feel the fear and the shame 
and the anxiety like Mary and Joseph today? Where in your life are, are you experiencing that, that struggle, that, that, that trouble, the darkness, the, the pain? I'm going to ask the same question I asked downstairs last week because I think it's important for us to consider at this time of year. What wakes you up in the middle of the night leaves you staring at the ceiling in search of answers because they're somehow magically there? I'm here to tell you a new light is dawning. What makes, you, makes your hands sweat and your heart race as you worry about what's lurking around the next corner, what's sitting around the next bend? A new light is dawning. You might be sitting here today and actually things are going quite well. You might be sitting here today and it feels like your whole universe is bathed in light, but you know that that's not the story. That's not the case for your friend, for your neighbor, for your loved one, for the person sitting next to you in the pew this morning. Maybe the message of this, of this lesson today, maybe the, the, the call of this Christmas story for us today and for you today is to be a reflector of that light, to be a conduit of that light and that good news, to let that light shine in the dark places in the lives of others. And that's what God is calling you to be about today. Maybe God is calling you to be the messenger, to share that message that the deepest dark is not where grace goes to die, but the deepest dark is where grace goes to be reborn. My friends, this Christmas and always, may you know, may you experience, may you share, may you dwell in the hope and the promise that even though it may be the longest and the coldest and the darkest night, that a new light shines, a new life is coming, and grace is reborn.